Welcome to Screencast, Screen's podcast series where our lawyers and other industry or thought leaders share their views and insights on various legal issues and developments in Malaysia. this episode of Screencast, entitled Employment Issues Arising in Mergers and Acquisitions. I'm Sheba, and I'm a partner in Screen's Corporate Division. I have over 13 years' experience in M&A, and my clients range from Fortune 500 companies, international conglomerates, to local Malaysian players. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah, and I'm a partner in Screen's employment team. I have 10 years' experience dealing with a myriad of employment issues, both in litigation, advisory and corporate. I regularly represent employers in unjust dismissal claims and advise on employment compliance, right-sizing, misconduct, performance management, termination and dismissal, employment-related immigration and tax issues, and other employment issues arising from mergers and acquisitions. Thank you for joining us here today. Um, Sheba, perhaps you can start us off by explaining what are the most common issues related to employment and human resources which feature in mergers and acquisitions of companies? Sure, Sarah. Now, the most common issue which arises is that of the transitioning of employees from one company to another following a merger and acquisition. So, to begin with, some of my clients looking to acquire other companies, they do not always have their mind made up as to whether they want to embark on a share acquisition or business acquisition. Now, this actually plays a big part because, you see, as a share acquisition, you come in as a shareholder of the company. You buy the shares of the company and you inherit the company basically like as a whole lock, stock and barrel. Mm -hmm. Whereas for business acquisition, you only acquire a part of that business of that company. So which means you pick and you choose which assets or which parts of the business are being acquired. And in addition to that, also choose which employees want to go along with the business. Now, of course, insofar as employment is concerned, the decision has to be made whether or not to proceed with a share acquisition or business acquisition because it actually makes a big difference. It has major repercussions as to whether or not an employee is impacted. Now, you see, as I mentioned, in a share sale, we acquire the shares of a company. And because of that, the share sale does not really impact employment because there's no actual change to the employing entity, even though your shareholders above have changed. Uh, so the employment remains the same, right? In a pretty, share acquisition. Pretty much, yes. Your employer is the same. Your terms and conditions of employment are exactly the same. Take a practical example. Say the shares of ABC Sindir and Burhad are bought by XYZ Sindir and Burhad. Now, ABC becomes a whole part of the XYZ larger group. However, even after acquisition, ABC Sindir and Burhad operates on the market as if nothing has changed. The business continues to operate intact even though they're owned by different shareholders. Perhaps even alongside XYZ in the same market. Now, because ABC Sundar and Burhad continues to operate and its business runs as usual, there is no question for a change of employment in jobs or in roles. And basically for the employees, nothing changes. Right. For all intents and purposes, nothing changes, right? Yeah, so that's for share sale. Yeah, but the opposite... It's true in a business sale, okay? So, uh, let's take another example. So, let's say DEF, Sundaran Berhad, is in the uh, food and beverage business, okay? So, it manufactures and it sells three major products, okay? Let's say uh, apple drink, grape drink and uh, pear drink, right? So, 123 Sundaran Berhad is also in the F&B business, perhaps even a competitor to DEF Sundaran Berhad, but it manufactures and sells a different drink, orange drink. 
So now one, two, three, Senior Bahad decides, okay, look, I'm really interested in uh, DEF's Apple drink business and I think I want to acquire it. DEF says, okay, yeah, no problem. I'm happy to sell it, okay? So to proceed with this business sale, essentially what happens is that the Apple drink portion of DEF's business gets carved out from the larger DEF, Senior Bahad, and then its assets and liabilities are transferred or novated to 123 Senior Bahad. That's correct, right, Shiva? That's, that's right. Yep, okay. So often, but not always, such deals envision the movement of employees, at least key employees from DEF, Senior Bahad. Okay, pertinently, those employees who have the know-how in running the Apple drink business. So it is to one to three seniors benefit that this portion of the Apple drink business employees also transition over to one to three to assist and ensure the continuity and the success of the Apple drink business now that it's going to be run under one to three instead of DEF. So in a business sale, we see that one of the most major employment issues here which arises is how we can transition the employees from DEF Sendir Bahat to 123 Sendir Bahat in a prudent and uh, legal manner. Interesting that you say prudent and legal manner. Can you maybe explain to us how do you transition these employees from the seller to the buyer in this prudent and legal manner? Yes, well, actually, there are, there are three main methods of transition. Some may be more prudent than the others, <laughs> but we'll go through that, okay? So there are three main methods of transition, and the first method is the regulation aid method. Well, that actually, it's what I call the regulation aid method because it's a mechanism that is taken off regulation aid of the employment, termination, and layoff benefit its regulations. That's why I call it Regulation 8 Method. Essentially, it envisions a termination of employment by the seller and a consequent uh, offer of employment by the buyer. The general rule is that the employment of an employee employed in the business which is for sale is automatically terminated upon closing. Okay, There's no changing that fact. Essentially, if uh, DEF is selling Apple drink the apple drink business to one two three senior bahad upon closing the employees which are employed in the apple drink business of uh, def senior bahad their employment is automatically terminated okay? so they have no jobs anymore essentially nothing's going to change that fact right the moment closing happens their employment ends okay in that scenario the seller's obligations include to provide notice of termination or where they cannot provide notice of termination or they only can provide short notice they have to give salary in lieu thereof and uh, they may also have an obligation to provide termination benefits uh, where required under law so you know, in GIST, termination benefits is not applicable to all employees. You have to fall within certain categories of employment within the Employment Act, okay? However, under the Regulation 8 method, if within seven days of closing, the buyer offers to employ the impacted employees. So, one, two, three, Sendiram Berhad says, okay, on top of buying the assets and the know-how, etc. of the Apple drink, I'm going to take the Apple drink employees as well. If within seven days they do that, then essentially the seller escapes part of his obligation, okay? And this obligation that he escapes is the obligation to make termination benefits, okay? This applies even if the Apple Drink business employee unreasonably refuses the offer of employment. Okay, what does it mean by unreasonably refuse? So essentially, if 123 Sinaran Berhad says to the Apple Drink uh, business employee, okay, I'm going to take you on. I'm going to offer you the exact same terms and conditions which DEF Senior Berhad 
uh, has offered you, which you enjoy with them. I'm going to recognise your full years of service. Yet the Apple Drink employee says, nope, I don't want to go. That is what we term unreasonably refuses that offer. Okay, so he's being difficult, basically. Well, for lack of a better word, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't want to go to mm-hmm, 123 Sundar In that situation, DEF Sundar Berhad, which is the seller, still escapes his obligation to make termination benefits because it's the employee who has unreasonably refused the offer. So this is the most prudent method of transition. Uh, that was what I was talking about because it's a transition that uh, has its mechanism rooted in law. So we know insofar as mergers and acquisitions are concerned, that is the safest way to transition employee. However, it is also the most time-consuming method because you have to serve your uh, notice of termination. Or it could be the most costly method because if you don't serve the notice of termination, you have to pay salary in lieu of notice or you have to pay termination benefits. The second method is also a very often used method. Okay, I call it the consent method. And essentially, it requires all three parties, the seller, the buyer and the employee to mutually agree to the transfer of the employee's employment from the buyer to the seller before closing occurs. So this way, the rationale is the employee will not be part of the seller's business upon closing. So if it's not part of the seller's business upon closing, there's no termination of employment. So if there's no termination of employment, there's no requirement on the seller's part to give notice of termination and there's also no requirement to give termination benefits because there's no termination, essentially. But here's the catch. It requires the consent of the employee to execute. Now, I think this is where a lot of um, the clients get it wrong. They think that they can instruct an employee to go from one company to another. But employees are not like assets. They're not chattel. They're not someone you can move and novate via contract per se. You need their buy-in. And in order to execute the consent method, the employee will have to say, okay, I agree to go to the buyer from the seller. And if they disagree, if they say, I still don't want to go, essentially you have to fall back on the regulation aid method to effect the transition. So while this method is employed regularly in Malaysia, it has not actually been tested in courts. I see. Now, you mentioned the third method. Yeah, the third method is the riskiest method, okay? Uh It's called the resignation method and it entails the employee resigning from employment with the seller and then taking up an offer of employment with the buyer. Uh, To do this, often the seller may need to waive notice of termination so that the employee can transition to the buyer by the desired deadline, i.e. closing. Now, it's a very risky method because imagine your employer coming up to you and say, uh, I need you to resign because I'm selling the business and um, if you want, you can just take on employment with the other side. I okay. see that that sounds quite scary because yeah, as an employee, you feel very insecure. You have to you asked to quit, and you don't know for a fact whether or not you're going to be offered employment by the buyer. Yeah, and you also do not know if I go to the buyer, am I worse off? Do I get the same salary? Am I in the same position? And uh, from the employee's perspective, they can very legitimately claim that they were being forced to resign. I see. Right? So uh, they are saying, look, my employer says he wants to sell the business and I've got no choice but to resign. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's a recipe for disaster. And it's not something that we uh, advise clients to do unless they are in full and total control over the situation. You know, for example, if the uh, mergers and acquisition is happening within a related entity, uh, the employee is comfortable with that method. Um, Other than that, that's not a method that we normally would advise. Understand. And it does sound quite risky as well. So... 
one thing that I noticed out of all of this is that there is nothing in law that actually compels the buyer to extend an offer of employment. So can you imagine, like in this case, you've got your employee who resigned um, from the seller because he was told to do that, and the buyer does not extend. Yeah, a new he changes offer his mind, right? Exactly, because he doesn't want to. Maybe he just decides, I don't like you. I don't want to take you on. So that's the thing. There's nothing under law that compels the buyer from offering terms and conditions which are no less favourable and also from recognising the employee's entire years of service. So one other common related issue that we do find is the transition of employees who are not directly impacted by this acquisition, but whose line of work may be. So an easy example of this would be shared services employees. So now let's circle back to DFs in the Burhad, right? Right. And they are selling their apple drink business to one to three Sundarian Burhad. Now DF Sundarian Burhad has an accounts department. Okay. And this accounts department their accounts executives work that specifically for the Apple drink business. Right, although they're part of the accounts uh, department yes. in the whole of the F's and Hut, right? Yes, and 123 is not acquiring the accounts department. Right. So what then happens to these accounting executives who deal specifically with the Apple drink business? Note that the account department is not impacted and those working on the Apple drink business are not deemed terminated on closing. What if one to three Sundarian Berhad, the buyer, decides to also co-opt these employees in DEF Sundarian Berhad who have know-how of the Apple drink business? But are not specifically part of the Correct. Apple drink business, right? Yeah. So how then do you deal with them? Do the same methods of transition apply? Uh, that's a really good question and the short answer to that is no. Actually, the Regulation 8 method does not apply at all because like you highlighted earlier, there's no automatic termination of employment insofar as these um, quote-unquote accounts executives are concerned. They're not part of the Apple drink business. They're part of the accounts department, which is not for sale. And their work is in the accounts department, although, you know, substantively, they're supporting the Apple drink business. So in this scenario... Only the consent method and resignation method works. If one to three scenario Berhad insists, okay, look, I need everyone in the company that knows how to run the Apple drink business, even your shared services guys, I want to take them on, they can't apply the Regulation 8 method. So in other words, what this means is that you need the employees buy-in. The accounts executive, quote-unquote, needs to consent to go to one to three scenario Berhad. Now, what happens if they don't agree? If they don't agree, there's actually no repercussion insofar as their existing employment is concerned. That means they won't lose their jobs with DEF Sundaram Bahad as a result of the sale. They can continue in their employment without any change in the terms and conditions. And DEF Sundaram Bahad, as their employer, must continue to supply them with work. Maybe, you know, start working on pear drink business or grape drink business or <laughs> yes. something like that, you know. Um, and if they find that okay, look, now I've got too many accounts executives because I've sold one third of my business, then they would have to think about other methods of exiting them. For example, through retrenchment, seeing that, you know, there will be perhaps a reduction in the amount of uh, work required. Because right? they don't have any more work to do. Exactly, exactly right. Now, I want to circle back to that statement you made about terms and conditions of employment being no less favourable and that there should be a full recognition of years of service where the regulation aid method is employed. Now, one of the challenges that my clients face is ensuring that the employment of the seller's employees are on terms and conditions no less favourable. Sometimes, to make it simple, right, they might just say, OK, I'm just going to honour your existing terms and conditions enjoyed by the employees prior to the sale of business because they're just so scared that they yeah. might run afoul of the law. But it doesn't really make sense sometimes because then you've got two sets of employees, mm -hmm. your existing employees and those who have been transferred ones, in. Yep. 
and there is a disparity in the terms and conditions of employment and it causes administrative difficulties because you have to deal with them separately right. and you may have some people who, who get angry and they right. get pissed because right. you know, they're unhappy right yeah, so unhappy. one may be enjoying something better than uh, than the other okay Correct. so this uh, terms and conditions no less favorable is a requirement of regulation eight itself actually you know, if I'm being honest about it, it's even an indirect feature of the consent method because let's face it, which employee will be happy to transfer to another employer which would result in less favourable terms and conditions of employment, right? Now, I agree, it's not actually easy to harmonise terms and conditions of employment between two companies. One saving grace here is that the requirement is adjudged as a whole rather than ensuring a tit-for-tat match, okay? So let's say, for example the employee enjoys 120 days of maternity leave in DEF Senyarim Bahad, okay? That's over and above the statutory minimum. But 123 Senyarim Bahad taking on this employee says, oh, we only provide the statutory minimum, which is 98 days of maternity leave. Mm-hmm. So insofar as the female employee is concerned, she can think, oh, this is not something on terms and conditions no less favourable, right? Correct, it's so putting she's me, off. Right, she's putting me in a less favourable position. But if 123 Senyarim Bahad says, Although I only offer 98 days maternity leave, the statutory minimum, I give you an additional benefit of childcare leave up to additional 25 days, mm-hmm. okay? Whereas her previous employer, DEF Senyarim Bahad, does not offer such leave. So the cumulative effect of the 98 days maternity leave in addition to the 25 days of childcare leave may be comparatively equivalent in value, to the 120 days maternity leave. So we are judging it as a whole. But of course, this is appreciate that this can be rather subjective. So a safe way which I advise clients to proceed with is to append the new terms and conditions. So you're saying, look, DEF, Senyarim Bahad, Apple Drink employee, 103 wants to hire you. This is their terms and conditions of service. You will appreciate that it puts you in a position which is no less favourable. You give the employee an opportunity to look at these terms and conditions, get their sign-off on it. I see. So you basically need them to consent. It's not that we need them to consent. The regulation aid method does not require them to consent, but it's always a good layer for the employee to say, I knew what I was getting myself into. In that way, you mitigate all risks, you minimise any unhappiness with the change, you know, in terms and conditions of employment where there's such a change, right? Okay, so fine. If I'm an employee, right, I'm being transferred out, I'm being acquired. And I feel that, look, you're giving me this paper and telling me these are my terms and conditions, but I feel that they're less favourable to me as compared to what I previously enjoyed. What do I do? Okay, well, the truth is your options are limited. As we stated earlier, there's nothing that will change, you know, the fact that your employment is ending with your current employer because the business is being acquired, right? So with that in mind, there are only two ways you can proceed. Do I want the new offer with the new employer or do I not want the offer? Okay, if I don't want the offer, why is that the case? Is it because they're putting me in a less favourable position or I think that it's less favourable? If I think so, you know, they're putting me in a less favourable position, I can say I'm rejecting the offer because I think that's less favourable and then that will entitle me to the termination benefits should I be so qualified under the Employment Act by the seller. But essentially... Your options are limited because you're losing employment and then basically your choice is just limited to a 
take it or leave it situation. Do I want the job or do I not want do the I, job? Yeah, exactly, you know. And even if you challenge it and you say, look, I didn't go because the terms and conditions were not as favourable, that's not necessarily up to you to decide, isn't it? Yes. You know, you can bring a claim uh, to the Director General of Labour and then they can decide as a whole, comparatively, we, we look at it as a whole, were you really worse off? And also bear in mind, I stated earlier that not everybody's entitled to termination benefit. Yes. Under the Employment Act, only if you're an employee who earns less than 4,000 ringgit or you are engaged in manual labour or the operation and maintenance of a mechanically propelled vehicle or your supervisor of manual labour, then you would be so entitled. If not, you don't even have a statutory right to enforce. Understand. And honestly, because my employer is the seller, my recourse would be against the seller, right? I can't go after the buyer for not offering me terms and conditions no less favourable. Yeah, that's right. Because like we stated earlier, the buyer doesn't have an obligation under law to give you an offer of employment. They don't even have an obligation under law to ensure that your terms and conditions are no less favourable. So insofar as that's concerned, you can't compel the buyer to take you on the terms and conditions which you enjoy, which you currently enjoy or which you wish to enjoy. Maybe you can negotiate, but that's not something that's guaranteed to you under law. I see. So, hard decisions to be made if you're in that position. Yeah, right. Unfortunate, but yeah. Yes. Okay, let's come back to the share sale and business sale discussion which we discussed earlier about how these employment issues only really arise in a business sale and not in a share sale given that, you know, your employment is not impacted in the share sale transaction. Now, from a purely legal perspective, that's true. But I see more and more, especially in a share sale acquisition, where companies are keen to harmonise the terms and conditions of employment to ensure that the benefits and compensations are equal throughout the companies in the group. Do you also see this? Yes, I, I do see it. It's actually fairly interesting because when we explain to clients the repercussions insofar as employment law is concerned in a business sale and share sale, it looks like night and day. But actually, even if we do acquire the shares of a company, we are thinking this is part of our group. They can't be too different than the rest of our group. A lot of companies now have worldwide benefits. So everywhere in the world, as long as you're part of the group, you enjoy the same type of benefits. And now that is why due diligence on employment terms and conditions are very important, not just in relation to minimum employment law compliance, but also to obtain a very good snapshot of the terms and conditions of employment which is offered. There may be terms like a golden handshake, provision of a company car, other assets, maybe employee share scheme, long-term incentives, other type of awards that the seller, even in a share sale, may suddenly find itself having to honour, right, insofar as the acquired business is concerned. On a more macro level, they may start thinking about, oh, do I have to offer this to the rest of the employees in the group? Because one company is now offering ESOS and LTI and things like that, right? So you don't want to piss off your existing employees. Exactly. So we see that even in a share sale, similar to a business sale, there is also sometimes an intention that all employees on the group, you know, they enjoy the same types of terms and conditions of employment, right? Now, buyers, even in a share sale, they must be aware that in the process of harmonisation, if it wishes to strip away some of these terms and conditions of employment in order to close the gap. So, for example, let's say you've acquired the shares of another company which gives ESOS or LTI to its employees and the rest of your other group companies don't do such a thing. So, you're thinking, I want to take away this ESOS and LTI because I do not want this to be an issue. Other employees start saying, oh, I want ESOS and LTI like this company. Then you think, I want to strip it away. You have to beware 
that you would need the employee buy-in. You need the employee consent. So what happens if the employees don't consent to their perks being stripped away? Well, that's easy. You can't do it. Ah. You can't do it. You can't change an employee's terms and conditions to put them in a less favourable position. Okay. So essentially, if they don't give me that consent... I can't, I can't do, do it. it. I'm still stuck. And then wait, I have to give these uh, these extremely good perks, which they have continuously enjoyed. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, another issue that I think that's becoming more and more apparent in mergers and acquisition is this thing, ESG, right? Buzzword these days. Now, do you see that arising more and more in the mergers and acquisitions which you handle? Definitely. Um, it is, as you said, it's a buzzword. It's a hot topic right now. Everyone wants to be seen to be in compliance with it. So we've seen a lot more requests for warranties for compliance with ESG concerns, particularly in the anti-human trafficking and anti-slavery laws when relating to employees. And this is especially so in the manufacturing sector. Because as you know, in Malaysia, employment laws are not necessarily focused on anti-slavery and anti-trafficking. But we do see a lot of companies having more awareness in this sector. But honestly, it's a whole new topic altogether and we are running out of time here. So let's reserve that for another day. Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about insofar as employment and ESG is concerned. And that will be an interesting topic on its own. Um Till then, thanks everyone for joining us here today and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Screencast. The views and explanations expressed here are for purposes of information only and may not apply to all circumstances or may no longer be accurate due to subsequent developments. You are encouraged to consult a qualified lawyer for any specific legal queries or issues faced.